listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Eric Daw. That dude, that guy, he said, he... Yep, you hate him. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. It is the Frat Files Podcast, Guitar Science. My name's Eric Daw. I'm, uh, I repair and build and restore guitars. I've been doing it for 25 years. Man, that makes me sound old. I started young. That's the good, that's the good news. I'm not quite as old as that makes me sound, but <laughs> I'm getting there. Uh, today my co-host is my cat. That's right, Sullivan the Cat is going to sit here and hopefully be quiet while I do a podcast basically by myself. And that's okay. You know, that's how I started this show. I started doing the show um, all by myself. There was no co-host in the beginning. Some of you might know that. Some of you might remember that. But uh, I don't know. I want to do more interviews. I want to do um, some different things with the podcast. But I might do a solo show from time to time. Right? And I'll just try to keep it interesting. I've been working on all kinds of great guitars. I just refretted a vintage Fender Strat. 1960 Fender Stratocaster was so much fun. I love working on vintage guitars. I really do, man. That's my passion for sure. Um, That was a lot of fun, and it's for a customer I've done a lot of work for. Um, A guy who really gets it. He, He knows about vintage guitars, and he would never ask for something crazy, right? Because sometimes you get that. You get somebody with a vintage guitar and they, they ask you to do something crazy. Like, I, I love this guitar, but I just wish it had locking tuners. I don't do that, man. I won't do that. But this guy gets it. He's like, hey, man, keep this thing as original as possible. Replace the frets, but use, you know, the correct size fret wire and try to make it look like it never happened, right? And that's my plan anyway. So I like customers like that. That's great. Been working on a lot of acoustic guitars. That's, I gotta tell you, this is the time of year that I see the cracked and dried out acoustic guitars that have suffered through the whole winter and they're just reaching critical mass. Humidify your instruments, especially acoustic instruments. Please put humidifiers in the cases. Keep, uh, sound hole humidifiers in the sound hole. Um, ideally humidify the room too, buy a little humidifier and keep it in the room where you keep your guitars. I had a, a customer who dropped off an acoustic guitar and said, uh, uh, it was a newer guitar and he had just let it completely dry out to the point that it was just crying for moisture, right? And you can tell because the symptoms of a, of, a, of an acoustic guitar that have dried out are the top will sink, the neck will look overset, and um, the strings will come down and touch the frets, you know, almost, or 
or they'll be resting on the frets if it gets bad enough. And a guitar that's doing this, the next thing it's going to do is crack, right? Um, it, the fret edges are sharp. These are all symptoms of a dry guitar. So I'm looking at this guitar and I'm telling the guy, and I'm being nice about it. I'm a nice guy, but I'm telling him, you really need to humidify this guitar. And he says, well, I have other guitars that don't need to be, humi- to be humidified. All my other guitars are vintage, and they, like 50s and 60s Gibsons and Martins, they have acclimated to the conditions where they're at, and they don't need to be humidified. And I said, sir, I disagree. I May I politely disagree? Because I see these kind of guitars all the time in my shop, and if you let them get dry... They will crack. They will have problems. So please, humidify. Whether it's a vintage instrument or a new instrument, please humidify your acoustic guitars. Uh, Acoustic instruments really like, and electric too, but um, they really like about 45 to 50% relative humidity. You can get, you can go on Amazon or whatever your website of choice is and order a few, um, I have I have them all around the house. They're little tiny digital uh, humidity gauges, relative humidity digital readouts, and that it tells you the temperature and the relative humidity. I mean, what a great investment! You know, I don't know. It was I think twenty or thirty bucks for a six pack of these. They're just little tiny things. That kind of an investment will save you so much money and problems in the long run, so humidify your guitars. That's the other thing I'm seeing, is dried out acoustic guitars. Okay, what else have we got going on? I've been working on my schematic book, and I thought, just for a little treat, that I would read the preface for you. I think we're a few months away. When I get a solid deadline, I'm going to do a pre-sale. So, all of you who've been bothering me about, not bothering, but asking about ordering one, will have your chance Pretty soon, I think, and the um, I think the results are going to be really good. I'm really excited about this. But here's the preface to my book, my book about guitar schematics and wiring. Um, the book is going to be called Solid Sound: Schematics and Information to Help You Get the Most Out of Your Electric Solid Body Single Coil Pickup Guitar. Right. So we're talking mostly about single coil pickups and solid-body guitars. So I call it solid sound, and here is the preface. When I started tinkering with guitar wiring many years ago, there was not that much information available. Every little nugget of wisdom I could scavenge was cherished. A lot of the information in this book came by trial and error, but a lot of it also rests squarely on the shoulders of those who came before us in the design of electric guitar circuits. There were the pioneers, people like Leo Fender, Nat Daniel, and Seth Lover. There were also a lot of people who came after these pioneers, people like Seymour Duncan, Dan Armstrong, and Larry DiMarzio. Then there were the modern-day tinkerers who freely share their knowledge online, like Deaf Eddie Emmett Brown and Old Fuzzy A.D. Barron. I wouldn't have been able to do this on my own, and I owe a debt of gratitude and thanks, as we all do, to those who came before us when it comes to electric guitar wiring and design. This book is not intended to be about the basics of guitar electronics. 
There are volumes of information available elsewhere for you to start with if you are new to the subject. This book is intended to show you some things that can be done that you may not have considered before, mostly pertaining to Fender-style guitars. The schematics in this book are the culmination of decades of wiring my own guitars and customers' guitars in my repair business. For the sake of caution, I'll touch on many of the basics. For example, there will be some very basic and well-known schematics at the beginning of each section in order to establish a baseline of each guitar model and its usual wiring. There will also be some general information about reading the schematics and concepts that you should be aware of. If you find yourself scratching your head at the things you encounter here, brush up on the fundamentals before continuing on to the more advanced ideas and schematics in this book. Included in this book are some schematics that I've never shared before and that I have never seen anywhere else. Many of these schematics were drawn out of necessity for achieving a sound that a player was after, but couldn't get with the wiring designs available. Some of the schematics in this book are almost outlandishly over-the-top in their design, but can make a simple guitar very versatile without having to add a bunch of mini-switches and push-pull pots. I've always strived to do the most with the least amount of parts possible. It breaks my heart when I see an old Fender or Gibson from the Golden Era that has been all hacked up with mini-switches and extra routes. If you tinker on guitars using the information provided in this book, please be mindful of the value of these older guitars. Leave pristine vintage wiring alone. Don't cut extra holes or routes in vintage guitars. The mods outlined in this book are best used on guitars where the value won't be ruined by rewiring or tinkering. Modern guitars and fresh builds are obviously fair game, and the vintage guitars that have already had their wiring hacked up or replaced are acceptable subjects as well, as long as you don't do anything irreversible. And there you have it. That's the preface to my book. And uh, it's going to be, I don't know, 50-something pages, and I'm very excited about it. I should be announcing a pre-sale pretty soon. But that should give you a little idea of maybe what's in the book and what it's going to be like. And, uh, you know, just a little bit of a teaser there. Let's take some calls. G'day, Eric. Uh, it's Andy um, commuting around the DC Beltway again. I uh, just wanted to say thank you very much for the advice regarding the uh, Stratocaster a couple of weeks ago. I've, uh, I'm going to follow your and that advice and, uh, and leave it be, as it were. Um, also, you guys had a comment uh, or a question a couple of weeks ago regarding Kelly Guitars up in New York, Carmine Street Guitars. Um, I'm actually lucky enough to have been to that shop and done a tour a few years back before COVID uh, shut everything down and, and they weren't allowing people in the shop anymore. And I asked Rick Kelly this exact question about why he doesn't have truss rods in the next of his guitars. And he told me that the uh, the not only does he not have truss rods, but a lot of them are actually pine. Um, so he's pulling wood from very old buildings in uh, New York City, like um, I think Chumley's Bar and... Uh, the old Chelsea Hotel and places like that. If you ever see photos of his wood shop, there are all these huge stacks of, uh, of very, very old wood in the back. Um, and he was saying that the necks that they have, the neck blanks that they have, are 200 plus years old and they're just so dry that they don't really move around anymore. Might also help that I think they're about an inch and a half thick at the nut. So, you know, there's that too. But anyway, just thought I'd give you a call, say thank you for the help and, uh, and give you a, a, hopefully an answer as to why he does that. 
Anyway, um, love the podcast, mate. Love uh, that you got Matt on board, and he still hasn't given us a backstory, so I'm going to assume that he's just Joe Bonamassa working under a pseudonym. Anyway, uh, thank you again for having the podcast, guys. Love listening to it on the commute, and uh, hopefully that helps. See ya. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for the information about Kelly Guitars. I've I've worked on Kelly's before when I was in Seattle working at Emerald City Guitars. I worked on a few of those. I don't remember if we carried them or if I just worked on some that came through. It's been too long, but impressive, very cool, and yeah, almost all of them, I think, are old, reclaimed wood that's very old. Very cool. Very cool. An inch and a half thick at the nut. My gosh, are you serious? That's a fat neck. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what else did he say? Oh, yeah, Nat. Uh, well, I'm sorry he's not here to hear that, but um, he's on some kind of secret government assignment right now, so that's why he's not here. But he really does work for the government. He's like a... I can't really talk about what he does. <laughs> Sorry. You know, you understand, I'm sure. Let's see what else we've got here. Uh, another call coming in. Hey, Eric, this is Rhett Harris from Rhett's Fret, Um down here in Nashville, Tennessee. I hope it's warm where you're at. Um, I know it's a little warmer down here, so if you ever need to get away from the winter, hit me up. Well, that'd be fun. Um, I'm calling in uh, about a fella who has modded his guitar several times. He had a Strat, a Made in Mexico Strat, and he had a question about changing the body to something that's more resonant. Um, I so I want to just talk about um, what I have found that works to um, improve resonance, especially on. Um, electric guitars, I can't, this, I guess this would apply to all guitars, but, um, mainly for an electric guitar, if you've modded it a lot and you've taken it apart and put it back together, make sure that everything is tight. What I have found mm -hmm. is that anything like a washer or on a, even on like a tuning peg, if you have vibration behind the nut or like above the nut, um, any of that vibrational energy that's not being used like from the string and into the bridge or into, um, into a saddle um, is just being lost in that vibration of the, whatever's loose. Um, so if, if, if he strums his guitar and he can hear vibration somewhere under the pit guard, um, somewhere behind the nut at the headstock, even like a loose, um, Oh, uh, what are the, like a, like a loose strap button, mm -hmm. something that's taking vibrational energy away from the string. Yeah. Um, I would try to address that and see if that improves the resonance. Um, anyways, that's just what I've found. People have come to me and said, this, this guitar doesn't sound right or it doesn't feel quite right. And when I strum it, I can feel kind of like a residual vibration somewhere where it's not supposed to be. You now, whether that be headstock, all those other places I mentioned. But I hope this helps. It doesn't raise too much controversy. But if it does, uh, let the madness ensue. Uh, R.I.P. Norm. Bye. <laughs> I don't think that's controversial at all. I've spoken about that before on the podcast. And he, uh, he added R.I.P. Norm, if you know who Norm is. 
Rhett and I are big Norm Macdonald fans, as you should be too. Um, yeah, I tell you, th- that is something I've talked about on the podcast before, especially, I think I brought it up when I was talking about frets. A lot of times you'll run into um, lesser quality fret work, whether it's on a, a factory manufactured instrument or a guitar that's had a fret job done improperly. You'll depress the string against the fret, and you just don't have much sustain. That can happen when frets are kind of, you know, not seated properly and a little bit loose in the slot, like if, like a loose tooth almost, you know? I see it on vintage Japanese guitars a lot. Frets that are just kind of floating or just kind of sitting in the slot, and they look fine, but they don't have really good contact with the guitar. And what happens is that the the energy of the string vibrating um, gets depleted. It gets sapped by the uh, the ability of the fret to move. So anything like that, whether it's a saddle or, you know, a tuning machine, yeah, it, any loose anything really will be detrimental to tone and sustain and that is that is a great point and i really appreciate you bringing it up again because it's something i haven't thought a whole lot about recently but it's something i always come back to because you you find it and every time you find it you're like oh yeah i gotta think about this more often everything needs to be solid that's that that is huge on a guitar even if it's like a cheap you know cheap woods and cheap tuners if everything's solid the thing might sound pretty good if anything is able to absorb string energy and instead of ring out you know then uh yeah that it it makes a big difference so thank you Rhett, for bringing that up again i appreciate it my man and yeah indeed r.i.p norm but here's the here's the good news norm lives on on youtube Gosh, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, do a search for Norm McDonald on YouTube because uh, Rhett and I aren't alone. I'll just tell you that. More calls. Let's take them. Hello, Nat and Eric. This is Micah calling from Omaha, Nebraska. I am wondering about nickel plating. Have you done it? Um, do you regularly do it? What do you know about it? I've I've got a pickup cover on a Gibson bass, and it's all nasty looking. So I'm thinking of replating it. I saw a YouTube video. It looks pretty straightforward, actually. You you know you get an AC adapter and you cut the wire and you make some kind of nickel solution. It's interesting and it intrigues me. And I bet you know something about it. So uh, what do you know about it? What can you tell us about uh, really plating metal in general? Uh, but yeah, nickel plating. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Micah. I've I've dabbled in it. It's not something I've done a ton of, but I have done nickel plating when um <clears throat> when the need arose and you can you can do it just like you said. You can you can either use an AC adapter and strip back the wires and use one on you'd want to attach one side to whatever it is that you're plating and then the other side um 
gosh, I can't remember if you if you connect the other side to just if you just put it in the solution or if you connect it to like say you use uh, whatever your source of nickel is. I think you can use an actual nickel if it's an old one. I don't remember. It's been too long, so don't don't take anything I'm saying about it as gospel. Look it up. There's a lot of instructionals on uh, the internet about uh, nickel plating. And yeah, it is something you can do at home. Uh, you can also use a battery to do it and, and hook things up that way. But basically what you're doing is making electrons flow from your nickel source to whatever it is you're plating. And it takes a while. I think it takes, you know, a couple days or maybe even longer. If you're doing it at home, you know, you don't have like an industrial way to do it. But the home the home version, I think, takes, you know, quite a while. And just like anything else, just like, you know, paint work or anything else, uh, the secret is in the prep, right? You want to make sure that you're prepping the you, you can't just put, like, a pitted, uh, bad-looking um, pickup cover in a solution and assume that the nickel plating is just going to make that look nice and glossy and shiny and new. No, you have to sand it and smooth it and uh, make sure that it's um, looking good and smooth before you nickel plate it because you're only going to get as good of results as the prep work that you put into it and my goodness, isn't that ever true for so many things that we do to guitars? Um, painting is such a pain in the rear end, and not because spraying paint is hard. It's all the prep work, just making sure that everything looks c good and smooth and that paint is going to stick to the surface you're with, that you're using, and everything's dust-free. It's all, the secret's always in the prep work. Yeah. Yep. Yes, indeed. So I think that's it for the calls. Maybe we'll take a break here and come right back with some questions, uh, some emails. This episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. Imagine always having fresh roasted coffee in your home. Now imagine you didn't even have to leave the house for it. A subscription with Apex Coffee Roasters makes all of this possible. You choose the plan that best suits your needs, and they handle the rest. Their roaster will select a coffee option just for you and send it your way. Discounts are applied if you get a six-month or a year-long subscription. And shipping in included if you're in the USA. Great coffee every morning. Just cut a little bit easier. That's apexcoffeeroasters.com. And if you go there and use my promo code, you get an additional 10% off. That's pinup, P-I-N-U-P. That's at apexcoffeeroasters.com. We've talked a lot about neck straightening irons on the show, and people write to me and they say, Eric, where can I get one? Well, until now, I didn't have anywhere to send people because nobody makes them anymore, except for my buddy Rick at playersgearmusic.com. You can go to Players Gear Music, you can order a neck straightening iron, some people call it a neck press or a neck heater. It is an invaluable tool in my shop. I use it all the time. I'd be lost without one of these. I, I love having a neck straightening iron, and Rick is making a really, really stout industrial. It, I, I, think it, I 
think it's the best one that I've used, and I've I've used a lot. I've used uh, the commercially available ones that they used to sell in the 70s and 80s, but they don't sell them anymore. Well, now you can get one from playersgearmusic.com. They're $7.49. I know that seems like a lot. It's it's a tool. I tell you what, it's going to pay for itself a hundred times over. If you go to playersgearmusic.com, scroll down on the main page, scroll, scroll, scroll down to where it says Fan of the Fret Files Podcast. You click that. That adds one to your cart, and it's 50 bucks off. So instead of $7.49, it's $6.99. $6.99, free shipping, and it's yours. A neck straightening iron. Playersgearmusic.com has them. And you need one, I'm telling you. So go to playersgearmusic.com and check it out. And don't forget to tell Rick that the Fret Files podcast sent you. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. This letter reads, Hi, Eric. I've been wondering about Fender necks and why they are different. Telecaster necks have a squared-off heel, and Stratocaster necks end in a rounded heel. Why would they be different? Is there some structural reason or cosmetic reason? Why would they make the two models differently? It seems like a, a waste of time and tooling nightmare to me. It would have been easier to make them the same, in my mind. What do you think the reason for this was? Jerry in Modesto, California. Yeah, Jerry, a lot of people wonder about this because... I, you know, I run into it from time to time. People will say, I really like the neck on my Strat, but I really like um, my Telecaster. Can we put my Strat neck on my Tele? And you go to do it and you realize that things aren't the same. Yeah, Telecaster necks have a have a flat uh, butt end of the neck and Stratocaster necks are rounded. The reason I'm guessing that they did this, and I don't know if I've read about it or not, but I'm I'm sure that this is the reason. The reason they did this in the 50s, so they they, they had the, the Telecaster, right? Fender had the Telecaster. Well, they had a few models, but they were all basically Telecasters, you know, the Esquire, the Telecaster, and before the Telecaster, the Broadcaster. Um, they're all basically the same, really. Uh... They introduced the Stratocaster in 54, and my guess is, because those guitars are so modular, it would be easy to swap necks around, and I think that it was more about branding. It was like, we want, we don't want Telecasters that say Stratocaster on the headstock, and have that be on television, and then people call us and say, hey, I want to, I want one of those Telecasters that has the Stratocaster neck, or hey, did you guys change the shape of the the Telecaster? I saw a Telecaster on TV that said Stratocaster on the headstock. So I think it was more about brand uniformity, saying these are separate models. We don't want, out in the field, we don't want players to swap necks around. Because that, those were their only two models at the time. I mean, it's 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 funny to think about now like how many models of guitar does fender make like is it over a thousand i mean it might be my goodness all the signature models and road worn and this series and that series and the uh, it just goes on and on man i mean the custom shop models the, 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 the yeah 
yeah, it goes on and on and on and on. So um, at the time, they had a Telecaster, and then they came out with a new model, the Stratocaster, and they I think they wanted to make sure that people weren't going to swap necks and muddy the waters, right? That's my that's my guess, and I'm I would just bet you, I would just bet you a box of donuts that that's that's what was on their mind. Thanks, Jerry. Next letter reads, Hi, Eric. Hope you are well. I just wanted to send a quick note to say thank you, and I'm loving the set of pickups and the control plate. I finally got a chance to get them into the telly I have and spent a long weekend with some friends closed up in a snowy, icy house on a river. Your pickups have really brought new life to my old favorite guitar, which has been with me for nearly 28 years now. And three different sets of pickups. These ones are staying in. Take care. That's from Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. I mean, I just, how could I not include that? It's such a nice note. I'm, it makes me so happy when people love the pickups I make. It really does. If you want to order pickups, you can, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com. Next question. Eric, on the last episode, you mentioned that on electric guitars, you like the necks flat. You said that you like relief on acoustic guitars, but on electrics, you like to adjust them as flat as possible. This broke my little brain. I was I was sure I wasn't hearing you right or not understanding correctly. Everything that I understand about the way guitars function is that there needs to be relief on the neck, at least some, to allow the strings to vibrate more freely. But you were saying you set your electric necks with no relief, or as little as possible. How are you checking or measuring? Do you use a notched straight edge or the old press on the first fret? and then press around where the neck meets the body and check halfway between trick. I usually shoot for five to ten thousandths of relief on an electric guitar using a notched straight edge. Am I doing it wrong? That's from Adam in Sonora, California. Adam, no, I, you're not doing it wrong. It's just, um, it's just stylistically different. That's how I do it. Oh my goodness, my, uh, my wood stove just made a loud noise. Uh, I do prefer um, electric guitars. I, what I do is um, I set them up for with the neck as flat as possible and then add relief if they need a little relief. But uh, electric guitars, you can get away with lower action than acoustic guitars uh, because the 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 fret noise that gets amplified acoustically on acoustic guitars really doesn't get amplified by the pickups. So you can get away with lower action, with lighter strings, with a little bit buzzier sound. I mean, you ever, you ever really dig into a, of course you have, to like a, a strat that's not plugged in or something? It's crazy buzzy. Sounds like a sitar. But you can get away with that because as soon as you plug it in and crank up your amp... It sounds clean and clear. So, yeah, um, I do. I prefer to adjust the truss rod on electric guitars so that the neck is as flat as possible. And one of the reasons for that is I work on a lot of guitars that have the seven and a quarter inch radius, so a very rounded fingerboard. And I do a lot of bending, right? So you take that E string and you bend it way up and... and uh, you know, playing like Albert King riffs, you know, up high on the neck. 
and on vintage guitars with tiny frets and very rounded fingerboard radius, uh, you'll you'll get a choked out bend. It won't sustain. And I found that um, a good solution to this is to uh, not put as much relief in the neck. Yeah. You heard me right. I do prefer as flat as possible. Now, some guitars won't do that. So what I do is I'll add a little bit, just a tiny bit of relief, just a little bit at a time until I'm happy with the results. I don't get super scientific with feeler gauges and, you know, notched straight edges. You can, but, uh, yeah, that's what I, that's what I do. I, I, I set it flat and set it up that way. And if it plays, then there you go. If it needs a little more relief, I'll add it. So it, it varies from guitar to guitar, but that's my starting point. Indeed, that is. This next um, question here is about a video that was sent to me. A very astute podcast listener sent me this video, and it was a really interesting video. It It's a video by a, a fellow named Jim Lil. It's on YouTube. And the title of the video is tested where does the tone come from in an electric guitar and he he's got about a 12 minute video here where he tries to decide really where the tone comes from in an electric guitar is it is it mostly the pickups is it mostly the type of wood it's made from and it was a really interesting video he did a good job um i have a few comments about it but and i'll i'll post a link to the video in the show notes I think I'll play a little bit of it here Over for the you. Nowadays, I wanted to find out the truth about where the tone comes from in an electric guitar. What makes one electric guitar sound different from another when they're plugged into the same amp? I've read and heard all sorts of ways that every single part on the guitar can make a difference in the sound, but I don't actually know if any of that's true. I wanted to take the time to actually test them and capture the results with audio and video so you guys can see for yourself and decide what you think's important too. First, so he goes through, he's got a uh, He's got a, a nice little guitar here. I can't remember what it was. Was it a... Uh, uh, let me look here. Oh, yeah, he's got a... So he's got a Tom Anderson Telecaster-style guitar. And then he bought a kit, like a $100 cheap kit, right? And just assembled it, um, but put the same pickup that the Tom Anderson has in it. So I think it was like a Seymour Duncan stack or something. And he records through an amp... Um, and ABs these two guitars, and they sound very different. And then he starts tinkering on them to try to get them to sound as identical as possible, and he does a decent job doing that. And then he starts messing with variables and doing all kinds of experiments, and basically by the end of the video, he decides that there's very little that um, makes a difference, that it comes down to a, a couple of very simple things like pickup height and... Um, you know, pick up proximity to the string and uh, a few other things. But um, it, anyway, it's really, it's worth watching. It's worth watching and it's done well. And I think that he's, I think that he's mostly right. If you, if you haven't seen the video, go watch it and then uh, come back and listen to my reaction to it. Okay, are you back? Uh, I think he's mostly right. You know, most of the things guitar players obsess about over uh, just don't matter. 
you know, people obsess so much about gear and this special, you know, tone website saddles and and uh, all these things that, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it just doesn't make that big of a difference. Uh, he's also right about this. Pick, pick up proximity to the strings is a huge factor in, in an electric guitar, and it's oftentimes overlooked by people who aren't hip to the jive. It really, really matters a lot, you know, a lot. Um, pick up proximity to the strings. It's, it's a huge factor. Uh, unfortunately, I, I think that, um, factors that he doesn't take, uh, into account are this. Um, I think that the pickup he's using is a bit generic and I think that it's going to sound generic no matter what it's mounted to. And that's, that's, that's my critique. Uh, it also would have been nice if um, at any time during this video, he would have gotten like a super big clean tone, like through a, through a, a big fender twin or something. Cause he gets this weird crunchy tone that just sounds, you remember those gorilla amps everybody had in the eighties? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. They just had this kind of crunchy little gritty tone. That's, that's not very good. Um, he, he just, he, he gets kind of this slightly overdriven tone through the whole video. And to me, all I'm hearing is this crunchy, gritty, overdriven tone that, that he's getting from his amp. So it would have been nice to hear a more, um, gosh, transparent sounding amp. That's, that's what I would say. Uh, the other thing, you know, he plugs in a few pedals, and th to me, that just confirms that pedals will make any guitar sound the same when played through that pedal. And and that's something that I've thought for a long time. But uh, the my main contention with his conclusions is this. It really would have been interesting if this guy, and he's a good player, I don't mean to denigrate his playing, he's a good player, but it would have been cool to hear a player with great, unique, recognizable tone that he gets with his hands on any guitar, right? To prove that most of what we think about as tone actually has more to do with the player and string manipulation. This is my, this is my contention. I mean, like, imagine, uh, B.B. King or Jimmy Vaughn or, you know, David Gilmore or any player. Carlos Santana, you know, somebody who, when you, you only have to hear one note and you recognize them. And that's because the way they manipulate the string is very individual to them. Um, in any, any player who has instantly recognizable tone, imagine them d doing this demo video. And then we would have come away with a completely different opinion. We would have said, oh, gear doesn't matter nearly as much as the player matters. This player made that guitar sound the same, uh, even when it was, um, you know, he, at one point in this video, he mounts a bridge to one workbench and tuners to another workbench, and uh, there's just nothing under it. There's just a pickup and midair, you know, there's no, there's no guitar there, and it sounds pretty good. He just strums a, an open chord, you know, and it sounds pretty good, you know, but it's like a I, kind of like when Rhett called in about how things have to be solid. Well, he mounted a bridge 
to a very solid workbench that was weighted down with a few engine blocks and then mounted tuners to the, you know, the, on the other side, on on the other workbench, a heavy, you know, workbench. I mean, of course it's going to sound good. There's uh, There's just nothing to suck up that string energy. Everything is allowed to vibrate freely and fully. And so, you know, there were no huge surprises for me in this video. His conclusions are, like I say, he, they're mostly right, and it's it's a well-done video. But I don't think it's the full story either. But this is just something that guitar players will talk about until the end of time, and there's no way around it. And uh, even when somebody tries to do some like really scientific test like this guy did... Then along comes somebody like me who tries to poke a bunch of holes in it by saying, yeah, but what about this or what about that? So that's just how it goes. Anyhow, that does it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll talk to you very soon. If you want to participate in the show, you should. You should go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click on the contact link and send in your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. You can call or text 757-774-8482. I'm not going to answer it. You don't have to get nervous. You can just call in and leave a message, and then I will use your voicemail as part of the show. Please do. Thanks, everybody. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.